0: Good evening again. You've heard our reading. I ask that you would pray with me. Father, please, in the name of Jesus, bless the study, bless the preparation, and send a fresh oil that this your servant daughter might speak only those things that you have given her to say. In the sweet name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Jerry Vines, a well-known pastor and author, tells the story of a Thursday night he was traveling through a busy airport. His flight was delayed, so he decided to walk around because he likes to observe people. Airports are definitely a perfect place for this. He ventured from one concourse, using his observation skills, looking for a story. You know, preachers can find their messages in the strangest places. (laughs) Well, he had found one. Crowds of people were gathered around three separate television sets. The people were standing very close to one another, laughing and smiling as if they knew one another. A few people were sitting on their luggage, others were standing. He saw one man sitting on the floor looking up at the television. Others were standing near this man and he thought there must be some news breaking story or some kind of news update. You know, with so many people, uh, with so many things happening, In the world stage, you don't just take crowds gathering around a TV lightly. So he joined the crowd closest to him. Someone in the back of him hushed the crowd as the program returned from a commercial break. He noticed that several people who were talking on cell phones put them away and walked near the crowd. Others closed their newspapers they had been reading. More and more people came over to sit down and get settled with the crowd. It was almost as if they were expecting to feel soothed by what was coming on. When it began, he didn't recognize what the program was, but he hung around to see what it was all about. He watched as the screen showed five or six young adults sitting on a couch drinking coffee. The conversation focused on a date one of the women had gone on the night before. The pastor looked around Anthony and noticed absolutely everybody next to him was tuned into to the show. What's the show, he whispered. A man standing next to him said, are you serious? <laughs> the man didn't really want to respond, but he was trying to figure out if Jerry Vines was crazy. He asked again. The man said, are you for real? He turned and, his, and rolled his eyes at Vines and then back towards the screen, Vine said, really, what is the show? He said, friends, you know, Monica, Chandler, Ross, do you know those people? <laughs> he looked at Vines as if he had three heads. This pastor was beginning to see the big picture. Here he was at a busy airport on a Thursday evening at eight o'clock, and most of the adults there were making time, even at an airport, to watch a show about six people from Manhattan who apparently were best friends. As I thought about Vines, Pastor Vine's airport experience, I began to think about my friends, the characters on the television program, and the friends in the scripture that was read in our hearing. How did these television friends compare to the friends in the scripture, and how did these two groups compare to my circle of friends? The question that came to mind was, who really loves their neighbor as themselves? People frequently use the term friend casually, which is a tremendous contrast from the friendship that was shared between David and Jonathan. The scene previously described at the airport made me think about the fact that a lot of relationships amongst modern day friends have become an interesting commentary. In fact, if you don't watch the rerun of Friends, The Golden Girls, The Haves and The Have-Nots, Any of the Housewives, or some reality program, what are you and your friends talking about? (laughs) Unless, of course, you're talking about real people, but I know that doesn't apply to anybody in here. (laughs) No, seriously, Netflix, Hulu, Peacock, and electronic devices have caused us to become so disconnected, isolated, and reclusive, not only from our friends, but our family also, my nieces and nephews sit in one room and text each other across the room. And I know most of them are talking about us. <laughs> but they don't even talk to each other anymore. They are texting or Snapchatting. One nephew is 17 and I said, who are you texting? He said, I'm not, I'm on Snap. I was like, what does that mean? So you know how old I am. I said, what does that even mean? We have become so detached from the human touch that we bank online so there's no teller connection. We pay the, at the gas pump so there's no attendant connection. We pay for our own groceries and check our own groceries at the Walmart so we don't have any cashier contact. COVID has caused us to depend so heavily on Zoom that we can have a business meeting in our pajamas because we don't have to go to a business meeting in person anymore. The technological world is cutting us off from the human touch and connecting us to a digital world and personally, I miss the human touch. There used to be a time when we enjoyed fellowshipping with one another. Now it seems like our main concern is how much time we have to get to the next place so we can make the next appearance appearance and have our next appointment. Rarely do we stop long enough, and maybe I'm just talking about me, I'm not talking about anybody, I'm just talking about what I'm talking about. But rarely do we stop long enough to get to know the people we've encountered in a day. A few years ago, my cousin stopped at my house. As I was on my way out, I was putting my hand on the doorknob when she was coming in, and she said, I need to talk to you, and I said, make it quick, because I have an appointment. She said, the doctors have given up on Calvin. Calvin is her husband. There's nothing else they can do for him, and I'm coming to ask if you... Which just preaches you for me. I felt like I was about the size of a flea because I was so busy trying to get to the next meeting that I never stopped to notice what Genoveva was going through. I never paused to even notice her countenance to really see what she was feeling when she came in. Needless to say, I'm not quite so crazy. I didn't go to the meeting. I'm not completely crazy. I want to share this. To say that my prayer is that we will pause long enough to at least look at the person we are talking to, pay attention, and notice them. At the beginning of the movie Crash, Don Cheadle says that we are so hungry for the human touch that we'll just crash into somebody. (laughs) Who have we become as a people that we no longer understand the importance of just reaching out and touching somebody? It's not just a song that Diana Wright, we're all sang in the 80s. So let me support my claim. Research was done in 1986 at the University of Alabama that suggests that there's a significant need for a human touch in order for, for infants to survive. Jane, the study was done 35 years ago, but the fact remains that there is a major connection between premature infants and the effect of human touch. It's stated that when a mother interacts with her newborn child, much of the interaction is physical. The mother usually caresses and strokes the baby. Several experiments have indicated that stroking and massaging promotes growth. A latest study done in 1996, 25 years ago, says that 20 pre- premature infants received the massages 45 minutes per day for 10 days, and 20 premature infants received no massage at all. Needless to say, the results showed that massage infants gained 47% more weight. They were more active and more alert. At eight months, massage infants were still showing a weight advantage along with more advanced cognitive and motor development. The infants who were lovingly touched were more likely to thrive, while the infant's survival rate for those who were not touched was not, was not so good. That's good information, preacher, but how does that affect us? I'm glad you all asked. I like an inquisitive crab. (laughs) I would like to suggest that when we have compassionate understanding for our fellow man, when we can feel how our friends feel, everyday exchanges with each other are more likely to invoke incredible effects of feeling safe, secure, and accepted. Because a simple touch and not just a physical touch will cause our hearts to join one with the other and we become a living, active instrument of connection. Isn't that what we really are hoping for? I would love to see us get back to the place where we genuinely love one another and are excited about having personal, interactive time with our family and friends and even the new people we meet. What does that mean? That means When the the scripture says in Luke 10, who is my neighbor? Stop and think about it. Your neighbor is the person you have an encounter with. And because of that experience, life is better. It's not just the people who live in the house next door to you or down the street. A neighbor could be a friend or someone you've never met. But because of the encounter, may you feel special because these people have acknowledged you. When you get home, read the rest of Luke chapter 10, you'll find that when Jesus went to Mary Martha's house and Martha was so busy doing that, she got angry because Mary was being. And you might ask, being what? Mary was being attentive to the Lord. Martha was so distracted with preparing for the master, she missed the opportunity to be prepared by him. This is after he had just made a commandment in verse 27. Verse 27. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. In other words, until we love the Lord with every fiber of our being, we can't effectively or healthily love anybody else. I'm glad we get to see what real love looks like in the 18th chapter of 1 Samuel. It's amazing to me that Jonathan got this thing right the first time, because in verse one it says. The scripture says that when David finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit with his soul, with David. And Jonathan loved him as his own life. So what kind of love is this that Jonathan had for David? It was an agape love. A love that was unconditional. A love that didn't have a dollar sign attached to it. A love that knew no end. A love that was a true covenant because without exchanging one vow, they love each other until death did them part. Sounds sort of like how Jesus loved us. I really wish I had time to unpack this message, but I'm gonna just um, be like Lo was with all her husbands. I'm gonna sit down in a minute because I won't be with you long. (laughs) (laughs) What kind of love is this? It's a love that's committed. One pivotal key, to any relationship is that commitment is as important as breathing is to survive. A pastor friend of mine is always telling jokes. At a Saturday morning prayer breakfast, he told us that the chicken participated in breakfast that we had eaten. The chicken laid the eggs and kept moving, but the pig was committed. Because in order for us to have the bacon we had eaten, the pig had to give up his whole life. If you are in a relationship and you're committed, but the with the other person isn't, that's not a relationship. That's unhealthy. If you're in any type of relationship that, that somebody is not doing what, not putting in what you're putting in, you might want to look for another one. So it's a love that's committed. What kind of love is it? It's a love that communicates. It is most important that in an any healthy relationship you communicate with your partner. If you expect to have a good, faithful, and fruitful relationship with anybody, whether it is a friend, a spouse, a a family member, you must communicate. Poor communication is a killer in any relationship. The word communication has at its root, commune. This means to talk intimately. Do you realize that when every time you take communion, we are having an intimate conversation with God, telling him how we love him, how we appreciate him, how grateful we are that he shed his blood for us. It's a moment of intimacy between the creator and us. There's no way to have a healthy relationship with anybody if we don't talk to him. So you must have a relationship, you must be committed, you must communicate, and you must be compassionate with one another. 1 Peter 1.22 tells us to love one another deeply from the heart. Do we consider how someone else is feeling or is it just about what we want? Don't answer that question, just keep looking ahead. In 1 Samuel 20, 41, we see that David and Jonathan wept together. In order to have compassion for people, you have to be sensitive to their needs. And so we have to look at what's going on and notice any hurts, any dreams, any goals, any desires that our friends are having. The scriptures say that they kissed one another and wept with one another until David got control of himself. Isn't it wonderful to have a friend that you can cry with and they not use your tears against you? What kind of love is this? Finally, it is the love of Christ. It is wonderful to have a companion like Jonathan or a confidant like David, a prayer warrior like Samuel or an elder like Nathan. But there is not a friend like the loving Jesus, no, not one. If Jesus is not at the core of your relationship, it's destined for demise. Proverbs eighteen twenty four tells us that a man with many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer to it than a brother. His name is Jesus. His love remains constant, sometimes in spite of me. Even when I disappoint, disappoint him, he still loves me. That's the kind of love this is. That means no matter how far we go, God's love is deep enough, wide enough, and long enough to reach wherever we are. So in the words of Jackie DeShannon, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. What kind of love is this? It's a love that communicates, a love that is committed, a love that is compassionate, and it's the love of Christ. Amen.